Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. We can see that illuminated sign that marks the end of the journey. This vaccine will help us get past this pandemic once and for all. We need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it. The thing that's going to stop us from seeing the end of this pandemic are people going, oh, I'm not so sure. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Roger Hearing. Good afternoon, I'm Ewan Potts. News that the UK's green list is being slimmed down rather than expanded has prompted an angry reaction from travel firms and passengers. TUI says it will do untold damage to customer confidence, while Heathrow Airport says it all but guarantees another lost summer for the sector. However, Transport Secretary Grant Shapps urged people to have a bit of patience. Meanwhile, there's some good news on the economy's bounce back. A new survey shows companies hired permanent staff at the fastest pace for 23 years in May. The Financial Times is reporting an easing of COVID-19 restrictions and the reopening of more sectors of the economy boosted a closely watched permanent replacement index to 67.4. Now, that's a sharp increase on the 50 that was recorded in April. Well, data from Public Health England released uh, on Thursday evening showed that the Delta variant first detected in India is now the dominant variant in the UK, accounting for 75% of infections. The data also indicates that the variant is slightly more likely to cause serious illness than the Alpha variant of COVID, which has been dominant across the UK since its detection in Kent last autumn. Right, well, let's get on to the subject of today's special programme, which is education. Now, one of the biggest problems Britain faces coming out of the pandemic is how to make up for all the lost hours of teaching. Many pupils have fallen way behind because of the deficiencies of online lessons and also the lack of a suitable environment at home. So how do we recover from an educational deficit that has scarred a generation? The government's plans announced this week have been met with plenty of derision. Their own uh, catch-up czar Kevin Collins resigned in despair at their lack of cash and ambition. So what is needed and how could it work? Well, I'm very pleased to say that joining us now on the programme is Lee Elliott-Major, Professor of Social Mobility at Essex University. Lee, thanks so much for being with us today. First of all, just how big is the education deficit that British children face after the pandemic? So, uh, yes, yeah, so I'm based at Exeter University, by the way, in the southwest of the country, just, just um, uh, not Essex, which I love, but, but I'm not based at. Um, in terms of the uh, learning losses, you can quantify this in many ways. Uh, and they're all big numbers, by the way. Um, so we've done research on uh, just, you know, classroom days missed and, and what we found over the year of the pandemic, the calendar year. Um, I, I, and it was difficult actually getting this data just because, you know, it isn't recorded properly. But, uh, but anyway, we found that, that in England, uh, at least 110 classroom days have been missed. And in a normal year, you'd get 190, 195 days. So about over half of classroom face-to-face teaching has been lost if the, if the pandemic hadn't happened. But when we also analysed home learning, so of course children were trying to learn from home, uh, and there were huge differences in, in, in those rates. Um, and what we, what we found was that 
um, that, that basically it adds up to about 70 days or 60 to 70 days missed equivalent. So, so we said if you had five hours of online learning at home, that's equivalent to a, a classroom day. So they're big divides. And what we found is, sadly, tragically, is that those poorer pupils, the ones that aren't, don't have that home study, don't have that, internet, they're the ones that are really falling behind. And, and we found that around 2 million children, 2 million in the first school closures, um, basically experienced no learning at all. So, so these are huge, huge figures. And, and the problem with all this, and it's really fascinating hearing your news summary, um, because for me, you see, as an educationalist, the thing about all this is that it has generational scarring. It affects children for the rest of their lives. And I think what's interesting in terms of, you know, government policy on this is you're trying to balance the short-term sort of public health concerns against the sort of how do we ensure that we don't scar a whole generation for the rest of their lives. And I think that's the dilemma governments across the UK and indeed the world are facing. Hmm. How big a deal is that? Are those seventy days of missed education? Because for those of us who've been out of school for a long time, if we'd missed seventy days of work, it doesn't sound like a great deal. But I guess it's very different when you're building up your your skills and, and experiences. What, what does this mean for people who've who, kids who've really missed out on this? So it is a it is a lot of days when you think that you know. So we're talking for some children. You missed you missed half your learning over that year, and. You know, what, what we're finding is that some children aren't uh, able to just read properly as they would have done at age 11, for example, when they're starting secondary school. Um, I think we'll also find a lot of uh, youngsters that are coming out of schools, going on to, to university, that there'll be loads of sort of catch-up and um, needed for them to be prepared to do those degree courses. I mean, the other thing with this debate, of course, is not just... Um, about academic grades, it's about well-being as well. And, and so I think both schools and universities are going to have to up their game in terms of the pastoral support for young people, um, many of whom, you know, have been traumatised, I think, by this sort of year-long, um, you know, uh, pandemic. So so I think, you know, these are, these are big numbers. They are profound, unprecedented, um, certainly since the war, um, and our research um, is looking at the sort of lifetime outcomes for these things. And so we're looking at, uh, I mean, the other problem for, for youngsters under 25 is they're more likely to have lost their jobs as well. So you've got a sort of double whammy for this young, the COVID generation, some people have called them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, these, are big, these are big impacts on their life prospects. We're certainly going to dig into the psychological aspects of this actually later in the program. But what I wanted to also ask you about is the social impact, because uh, you talked about the 70 days. But, of course, I guess the impact isn't the same right across the board. There are pupils, perhaps in more privileged areas, perhaps at private schools, who've, who've actually managed to, to, to get more education. And in almost inevitably, those who are at the poorer ends of society probably ha- have suffered more. Yes, that's right. Absolutely right. So, um what we found was that those from private schools were twice as likely to have benefited from a full school day uh, during that initial um, bout of school closures. So that so they were basically getting better online provision. Uh, now, a lot of that is to do with the schools and the schools that were delivering that, but it's also to do with the home. And, you know, one of the things that the pandemic, I think, has shown us is the extent to which schools actually do level out society, right? So to some extent they do. I mean, they don't, they don't balance it all out. But what, 
the pandemic has really done is exacerbated and exposed the sort of societal inequalities that were already there. Um, I think what's interesting for me, uh, as a little expert in this issue, on this issue, is you know I, I've also been arguing that it's time for the government to use this sort of moment to really fundamentally reassess the education system. You know, there was already, you know, attainment gaps between poor children and the rest before the pandemic happened. Those gaps have widened. We've probably gone back 10 years in terms of, you know, narrowing or trying to narrow those gaps between poor kids and the rest. Um, how can we now fundamentally reset the education system so that it benefits all children, and not just those from more privileged backgrounds? And you, you, on this subject, you talk about it in, in your one of your books about some of the strategies that really uh, make a difference on this front. How, how do we, just to sort of answer the question you've just posed, how do we uh, fill that gap? How do we improve that, uh, uh, that, that situation? Well, you know, it's not, I mean, it's not rocket science to use that phrase, I mean, in, in many ways, but, but it's, it's hard. And, and the reason I say that is really what we know, uh, a couple of things, really, uh, that, that years, decades of education research tells us. And, and the first is that teaching matters most. I mean, that, that you know, most of your listeners will, will sort of understand that. But it, it, it's fascinating because actually a lot of money in education doesn't go to support classroom teaching. But what we know is, is that the one thing we must do is improve that teaching in classroom or and extra tutoring that, that the government have, have been, support, at least in England, have been supporting. Um, and the issue there is that, um, you know, you want that for, for both the poorest pupils as well as the, those from better off homes. And that's always the, the, the biggest challenge for education in many ways. How do you get good teachers to the schools that need, need them? And how do you enable pupils in the classroom? You know, I've done the, involved in lots of reviews of studies. Sadly, a lot of children... Um, aren't engaged in the classroom, right? So you need to, it always comes back to quality of teaching. The other thing quickly I would say to you is that what I've observed during the pandemic uh, that counters that point is that schools are becoming increasingly, I call it hubs of social welfare as well as centres of learning. And that's a real tension in the system, right? Because you've got head teachers, you know, we all yeah. saw images of, of, of teachers giving meals directly to, 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 to kids. Um, I think there's only so much schools can do, and I think that's another area that governments need to think about. What yeah. is it? What is the role of school? Well, exactly, because, I mean, it, it, we've talked about the problem. We, it can't be made up with just a bit of tuition or slightly extra longer school days, can it? No, I mean, you know, as, as a sort of social mobility expert, that is really about, you know, what are the life prospects of children from different backgrounds. What all the evidence suggests is that you have to have some sort of wraparound approach. And what I mean by that is, yes, Let's focus on tutoring, improving teaching in schools, and there's all sorts of ways you can debate about that. But at the same time, we need to do other things about wider society outside the school gates. And that means, for example, um, providing one thing, a straightforward thing, would be internet access, for example. In, a new, in the new world that we're entering into, um, I think if you're going to be able to learn properly, you're probably going to need a good internet connection. You're probably going to need study space as well. I mean, that, obviously, that, that's another, you know, how people live. Is, these are huge, huge issues. But I think you can do some things about connectivity as well, you know, yeah. different parts of the country. Um, 
we, we've, we've looked at, at things like just getting the school bus, you know. So, so, yeah, so, yeah. so in areas like London and Manchester, where you have, uh, well, you have had improvements in schools, part of that is connectivity, both internet and, and transport. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Well, let's get back to the subject of our special today, the lost school years of 2020 and 2021 and how we can help children to catch up with all those months of missed learning. Of course, the people who know most about this, apart from the pupils, are the teachers. So let's hear from one of them now. Uh, joining us now is Marwa Al-Saraf, a year three teacher in Birmingham. Thanks uh, very much for joining us today. Uh, how much uh, education do you feel your, your, your pupils have lost uh, during, during the pandemic? Well, if we take into account the two full school closures, as well as bubble closures and individual staff and pupil isolations, we could say that the children have missed out on a full academic year of quality teaching. Um, Now, home learning was good. We were live full time, but it was not accessed by all, particularly the disadvantaged pupils. And no matter how good home learning is, it's never as good as face-to-face teaching, of course. So did you feel that a lot of your pupils did fall behind? Perhaps some more than others, but it was very noticeable. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. Now, you teach um, seven- and eight-year-olds. Just give us some sort of idea of, of the things that, that, that kids learn at that age and some of the things they've, they've missed out on over the past year. Well, they've missed out. So last year, obviously, with the year two lockdown, they've missed out on quite, um, you know, a big portion of the curriculum when it comes to maths, English, science. And then we found ourselves having to catch up on that this year. Um, But then again, this year's lockdown is causing them, you know, caused them to miss out on curriculum coverage for this year. So, you know, it's a sort of a never ending um, you know, cycle, if you like. And I suppose one of those things, Marwan, is the issues of almost socialisation, learning to, to kind of be with each other and the kind of learnings, apart from strict lessons, that you simply get from being in a school. Of course, yes, of course. We, you know, they've, they've missed out on being, fr- you know, being with their friends. They've missed out on small things like having birthday parties together or bringing in sweets to school to celebrate birthdays. So as well as catching up on education, we've had to, um, you know, to change and adapt on how they have lunch. They can't mix bubbles. Uh, they can't celebrate birthdays in school, etc. So it's a huge, uh, it's a huge effect on them. How do we go forward from here? Do you, do you feel that as a teacher, you're able to make up these losses? Have you got the, the time or, or capacity to do that? Or, or do we need something else? No, as a teacher with the current resources, we we, we can't, you know, there, there's no way around this because we don't have, um, you know, we don't have the, the funding, we don't have the room. Um, and like I said, it's a constant, it would be a constant catch up. Um, so it, it would be quite difficult to catch up on that. 
Marwa, if you were able to, to talk to uh, Gavin Williamson right now, if he was sitting in front of you, what would you say that you as a working teacher need? What do you need from the government that would help you with this? What we need is we need funding and training to be able to afford a small, to be able to offer the children small group interventions using a qualified tutor, um, using an experienced tutor who would give them small group support that feeds directly into classroom teaching. Um, you know, we, we feel that this is the only way to accelerate progress at the moment. And we currently don't have the room in schools or the staff power or the training to do this. Very interesting stuff. Marwa Al-Sharaf, year three teacher in Birmingham. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. And what about the pupils then, who've been through a very disturbed 12 months and now have the added expectations of, well, running in order just to catch up? How easy is that going to be for them? How much psychological damage is there already in their lives? Joining us now is Paul Howard-Jones, who's Professor of Neuroscience and Education at the University of Bristol. Paul, thank you so much for being with us today. Welcome to the programme. What is it that you think the children have missed out on most, apart from perhaps just knowledge? I mean, it must be wider than that. Yeah, um, sure. I mean, I think a huge factor is is not being able to interact with their peers. Um, And, of course, you know, we hear this from from the teenagers, and I think the teenagers have certainly suffered during this, but actually this is also true for the younger children. I mean, there are children who have not been going to nursery, have not been going to reception, who are simply... um, unprepared and unrehearsed in terms of how to interact with other children and the younger the child the the more effects you're going to see um of this lockdown because um you know missing out on school at a younger age um is is going to impact on on the developing brain more if if you like um so when we socialize we're rehearsing all sorts of important skills that provide a platform for our learning so not having that interaction and it is is really quite quite a loss i mean remember that when we interact with children as adults um we behave in a certain way that you know we're very regulated um we make exceptions for their behavior but when they interact with their peers there's much more of a need to regulate their their emotions and their reasoning and thoughts um and they learn so much from each other and they've just been missing out on that and I think I think the other thing is we we keep talking about missing missing out, but but actually that tends to create the impression that um, the, the, what, what's happened is that they've just missed a segment of time in their education, but but during that time development has still been taking place, and and what we find from studies in America where they've looked at uh, and also actually one in the UK where they've looked at the effects of long summer breaks is that. Children are not where they were when the break started. They slip back. So this is actually something worse than missing out, if, if you like. And I think we need to bear that in mind as well. And I, I really um, agree with your teacher as well about what's needed, because what happens during these lockdowns is that the children are much more influenced by their home environments. And that means you're going to get a much greater um, variation uh, there's going to be much more differences opening up between different children. And so when they come back to school, the needs that they have are very, very different. And that means they need to be addressed 
in small groups or even in one-to-one. So I think, you know, it's clear what needs to be done. There needs to be extra resources put forward. And it's, it's a very serious situation. It's not just about making up for the lost time. This will actually have done some additional damage on top of that. What's the impact of extra screen time? I, I don't know if we have any research on, on how much longer children over the past year have spent in front of screens, because I think a lot of children spend a lot of time doing that anyway. But what's the effect of, of more screen time and, and less socialising? Well, I think we have to be careful. I mean, people always want to blame the technology, but it depends actually what you're doing with the technology. Remember that uh, it, without the technology, most of these children wouldn't have been any, getting any education from school at all. Mm. So the technology has been a huge boon. But obviously, if you're playing um, a lot of video games, you know, later in the, into the evening, that is going to be disrupting your sleep. That makes it less likely that you'll remember what you learnt that day. Uh, because sleep is a very important time when we consolidate our learning, and then you're also more tired for the next day, so it's a double whammy. So I think it's that it's it's losing out on some of that structure that children gain from going to school at a certain time in the morning um, and having a structured day. That is, is very disruptive, um, and particularly on sleep. Uh, and, of course, different children will have been experiencing, as I say, different home environments. Some children won't have had a, a place or an opportunity to sit quietly and learn something. Um, you know, the, 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 some will have been playing video games late into the night a lot more than others. So, uh, and, yeah, and Paul, I mean, I guess one of the things that occurs to me as well is we talked, uh, well, government's talking about uh, extra tuition, longer school days, possibly even cutting short holidays. There's a lot of expectation building in on that, which surely is quite damaging in itself. Children who, who are being pressurised to run up fast in order to get up to speed. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I just uh, just before I came on air, I asked my teenager what he what he would appreciate in terms of extra support to help him catch up, and he said more breaks. <laughs> <laughs> Seems fair. But I mean, you know, I mean, I, guess, <laughs> I see. I mean, w- when you think about it, I think, but I think actually he's making an important point in a way. In so far as I think they already feel under a lot of pressure um, as some of these kids. So I think we have to be very careful. Yeah, um, and. We have to provide opportunities for learning which are engaging and exciting and don't feel that like they're like another stress because the children have already, many of them have already gone through a very difficult um, period anyway. So that's, again, you know, I mean, I, I'm very much for schools <coughs> having these funds and being able to use them in ways that they see as appropriate because um, it really needs to be done on a case-by-case basis. Do you think there will always be a lost generation? I, I was hoping you wouldn't ask me that um, because I don't want to be negative. Um, but I, I think it is highly likely um, that, 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 that many children will, will forever feel the impact of this. I mean, I mean for, for example, um, there was a study done that showed that the... Your professional income can be predicted to some extent from the number of years' experience that your nursery teacher has. Okay, so but and, and that gives you an indication of how much the quality of education, particularly the early years, can impact you in a lifelong way. And we we can't give this time back. We can't give this education back entirely to the children who have lost it. 
Um, but, but, but really what that means is we have to do our, our damnedest to do what we can. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.